<laughs> Welcome to All Things D&D's Story Dungeon, where we share amazing Dungeons & Dragons stories with you every two days. Now heading inside the dungeon, we have... Party outsmarts the evil necromancer with epic role-playing. Hi everyone, All Things D&D is back with another story. This story really is a fantastic example of Dungeons & Dragons done right. Great characters, a great boss, and great role-playing. We'd love to hear about your games after you listen to this. Now, for some context, this is the final part of a long multi-session dungeon that we have been crawling through for a week. Our DM designed this dungeon specifically to drain our resources, and my oh my did she ever. We had gotten our way through several high danger encounters, and I had to upcast a lot of spells to get us through, as well as cast a lot of buff and support spells, like bless and aid. Everyone had been expending a lot of their resources as well, and we were on empty by the time we got to the end. The story itself is written from the perspective of my character, Cordron. The story you're about to read is going to make him seem like a cantankerous sourpuss, but that's mainly just because in this story, he was having a bad day, as you're about to hear. I am Cordron, son of Cordron, and I was hoping that this job would be simple. The job was straightforward. The undead in a known cursed area were getting uppity and needed a little spring cleaning. My plan was to go in, smite some ghouls, and be home in time for dinner with the wife. Unfortunately, I was stuck on a team with the most bullheaded adventurers in Tarster. Teriel, hailed as a rising star of the Adventurers Guild, a consummate fighter and adept swordsman. Tristan, one of the most talented young spellcasters in the guild. Tristan's adopted daughter Sophia, a hexblade and very capable archer. And Olimorn, an experienced barbarian and captain of a mercenary company that was modestly successful. There was also a fighter who appeared to be some kind of warforged, though I couldn't say for sure. It operated under the designation No Name and it appeared to have a female form. These people were some of the most talented individuals in the Tarster City Adventurers Guild and had seen a lot of success early in their careers. Unfortunately, this early success had made them arrogant and left them largely deficient in terms of common sense or basic survival instincts. And as the designated healer of the group, it fell to me to keep these idiots alive. In my opinion, as strong and talented as these people were, they lacked a healthy fear of death, and that would work heavily against them where we were going. These particular ruins I was familiar with, having had done a cleanup job in the area on a previous occasion. One of my party members actually died during an encounter with some kind of undead plant monster. If I didn't have Revivify handy, she surely would have been lost that day. That incident had occurred just in the surrounding area outside the actual ruins. I had no idea what horrific nightmares lay within the tombs themselves. In any case, I had no intention of finding out. The job was to just clear the undead on the outside of the ruins. Going inside was not necessary. Unfortunately, my party members didn't see it that way. We smelled the ruins before we saw them. They gave off a malodorous miasma of rotten decay that could be detected from a mile away. From a high grassy hilltop just outside the edge of the cursed zone, we could see the figures of dozens of shambling undead. Ghouls, ghasts, and a couple other unholy abominations I still don't know the name of. In any case, it doesn't look like anything too dangerous, but as the sun starts to set and night creeps in, a chill crawls up my spine, and I can't shake the feeling that we're walking into certain doom. It also didn't help my confidence when Teriel, the man who's supposed to be the best swordsman of our generation, and in all honesty really is one of the toughest guys I know, pukes up his breakfast the moment he comes into contact with the stench of death. In any case, we arrived at the undead ruins and we have a job to do, so we fight. The first brawl is a nasty one. Ghouls and skeletons swarmed around us. These weren't too bad. 
A little divine channeling on my part helped to keep them from boxing us in. However, there was a giant hulking skeleton at least 10 feet tall that gave us some pause. And to make matters extra annoying, there was some kind of magical floating skull shooting fireballs at us from behind cover. It took a little while, but we managed to clear them out without spending too many resources. I would have been perfectly happy with calling it a day there and heading home, but the others found the entrance to the ruins. My party seized an opportunity to earn some extra glory and renown by solving the mystery of this cursed tomb, and maybe purging the evil that haunts it. Now, I'm no coward, but I'm also not a big believer in putting your life on the line for something you don't really care about, and I care more about making sure everyone gets home to their families than I care about purging the world of evil. Now, apart from Ali Morn, I don't really like any of the people in my party, Tristan and Sophia especially. My issues with them are a whole other story for another day, but the short of it is that Tristan is engaged to my sister, and Sophia is his and my sister's adopted daughter, which kinda makes her my niece. So if they both don't come home alive, my sister will cry blood, and I can't have that. If they all decide they want to go into the obviously deadly, dangerous and haunted ruins, I've gotta go in with them. The large stone doors are embossed with demons and serpents. They snarl down at us, warning us, no, daring us. We force them open, and the first thing that greets us is the sounds of a crying infant. What follows is several rounds of fighting wretched undead creatures and shadowy monsters. At one point, we were locked in a life-or-death struggle with ghosts that were possessing giant stone statues. Sophia actually got crushed to death during this encounter, beneath a giant statue's stone fist. It's embarrassing to admit, but as much as she annoyed me, she was still part of my family, and when I heard her bones crunch, I knew I couldn't let our story end this way. We fought like demons to vanquish the enemy and get to her in time, and the effort to revive her brought me down to my very last spell point. When she came back to life, her body was mangled and broken, and she screamed in unearthly levels of pain. But she was alive, and a few potions later was able to stand again. You'd think that would be enough for us to call it quits and go home, but unfortunately we're neck deep into this tomb, and there are no obvious ways out due to some illusion and teleportation shenanigans. So unfortunately, the only way out is through. The good news is that it looked like we were getting close to getting out of here. The bad news is that the room right after the giant stone statues that nearly crushed Sophia to death featured a mummy that had the power to mimic our powers by absorbing our blood. Now, I'll reiterate, I'm not a coward, but I was down to my very last spell point and knew I'd be useless if we fought something like this. Also, it already managed to get a taste of Ollie Morn's blood due to the puzzle mechanism that we had to feed blood to in order to get into this room. Ollie Morn is a tough-as-nails dragonborn barbarian, capable of taking on a dozen enemies by himself. This thing, as far as we could tell, had all of his powers that we did not know about, plus abilities of its own that we didn't know about, and we were already exhausted from the fights we had, getting to this point. So me, being the survivalist that I am, I want to try to see if we can find a way to talk our way out of this without needing to fight. It almost worked too. However, it came up during the course of this conversation that this mummy was a murderer of children. The moment Tristan learned that, he flew off the handle and attacked it with a shadow blade. Yeah, Tristan's kind of a hothead. I do not know what my sister sees in him. In any case, combat is on, so the only thing I could do was cast Bless and let the martial fighters do their job. In the meantime, I tried to make myself useful by examining the room and looking for things in the environment we could use to help. Fortunately, I've got sharp eyes and my wife is a sorceress, so I know a thing or two about the arcane. That came in handy when I noticed that there were teleportation circles around the room and that they were somehow meant to give the monster an advantage. This becomes important later. Anyway, Ollie Morn, Teriel, Tristan, No Name, and Sophia are all going to town on the mummy. Just like me, their resources are pretty drained too. Teriel can't action surge anymore, and Ollie already used his rage, but they're still doing well. My blessing helps them a lot, especially when they have to resist the enemy's mental attacks and blood attacks. 
I won't bore you with all the details, but I'll give you a few highlights, just to underline how desperation and exhaustion were forcing us to get creative. At a certain point during the fight, Ollie Morn grappled a bloody mummy with his bare hands, and Terriel shoved Powder of Dryness down its throat. For those who don't know, Powder of Dryness is an item that absorbs up to 15 cubic feet of water. Now, this creature was made mostly out of blood, and blood is 75% water. It writhed in pain horribly, as the slick red liquid that kept it animated was almost instantly evaporated. Also, it was discovered that the creature could be harmed by fire, so at one point, Teriel dropped oil at the mummy's feet while Ollie was grappling it and lit the oil on fire with his fire sword so that it would constantly burn as they were hacking and shooting at it. Ollie Morn was also caught in this, but he had fire resistance, so he was fine. This impressed me more so for the fact that it was Teriel who came up with the idea. For context, Teriel is a consummate fighter who pretty much solves all his problems with his sword, so what he pulled was definitely a change of pace for him. While this was going down, I was making myself useful by attempting to destroy the teleportation circles around the room. I managed to destroy one and was going towards another one when the martial fighters finished the job. The mummy liquefied into animated blood and escaped through the portals I hadn't destroyed yet. The encounter was over though. At this point we were really done. No potions, no action surges or special class features. The only one who had any spells left was Tristan and even he was running low. On top of that for some reason, No Name decided to wander off. Honestly, No Name was being weird, acting on her own without regard for the party's safety for most of this ordeal. As a result, I didn't trust her. I don't think anyone else did either. No Name didn't matter though. All we wanted at this point was to leave, and with what we thought was the final boss of this tomb defeated, we thought we could go home. A passageway with a staircase opened up. We figured it might be trapped, so we tried to carefully investigate. We could tell that something was off about the staircase, but as we stepped in closer to investigate, a hole in the floor suddenly opened up and we all fell 120 feet down. None of our magic items were working either. We couldn't use our flying brooms or anything. Fortunately, there was a gelatinous red mass at the bottom of the pit to break our fall. Unfortunately, that gelatinous mass was also acidic and we took acid burns trying to get up. Not only that, but the room was also filled with poison gas. It seemed that the anti-magic field we got caught in didn't extend to the bottom of the pit because my necklace of adaptation kicked in and saved me. The rest of the party wasn't so lucky and was immediately subjected to poison. Just as we were getting back on our feet, we noticed him. There was a man in the acid gelatin. He looked pale, with his hair, eyebrows, and fingernails burnt off. Floating in the acidic, slimy mass with him were the bones of children, bleached white from a century of acid baths. It didn't take a genius to know we had a necromancer in front of us. One look and I knew we had no chance of beating this bastard. Our odds of winning would be dicey if we were at full strength. Fighting him beaten and drained like we were then? No chance. However, I noticed he didn't attack us right away, and his demeanor wasn't overtly hostile. If anything, he actually seemed amused. I figured there was a chance we could talk our way out of this. This is where the story gets really interesting. I take up a polite tone as I speak to him. Making him angry is the one thing we don't want to do right now. Excuse me, sir. Sorry for bothering you. Would you mind showing us the way out? Huh. The way out? The necromancer chuckles warmly. Why, yes, I can show it to you. He waves with a hand through the gooey substance, and the room starts filling up with even more poison gas. I'm fine thanks to my necklace, but my party is coughing and wheezing behind me. Um, excuse me, sir, do you mind very much calling off all this gas? My friends don't seem to be taking it quite well. But I am showing you the way out. His pale lips glide into a smile. At this point, it's clear this necromancer is the type who likes to play with his food. I know in retrospect, thinking we could have gotten out of this by asking nicely seems like a bad idea, but that's just how drained we were. We literally had no other options left. 
I keep trying to find a way to negotiate with him. Bear in mind, I'm not a trained negotiator by any means. Normally, being the party face is a job I would leave to my sister or to my buddy Ved, but neither of them was here right now, so I had to do my best. What's your name, sir? I asked. My name? He frowns. Call me Master. Very well, Master. You're clearly much stronger than us. If you wanted to kill us at the outset, you would have. Why this game? He gives me a demented childlike grin as he speaks. Well, you see, it's so dreadfully boring down here without anyone to play with. The skull of a child flows through the ooze and lands in his hand. He turns the skull towards the party, moving the jaw and saying in a falsetto child's voice, Someone play with me. I've been an adventurer for three years now. To date, the sight of seeing that sick bastard use a child's bones as a prop is one of the most disturbing things I've ever seen. In that moment, I swear, there was nothing I wanted more than to have that necromancer's head on a spike. So you can imagine how hard it was for me to put those feelings aside and stay focused on trying to get us out of that pit alive. I grit my teeth and bury my feelings of disgust deep and try to keep up a pleasant face despite the situation. Why don't you come with us then? There's plenty of people to play with outside. He doesn't hear my suggestion though, because while I'm trying to keep the necromancer distracted, my party is pulling a bunch of nonsense that anyone with a bit of common sense would know is a bad idea. Tristan tries to cast Fly to carry himself and Sophia out of the pit, but he forgot that the anti-magic field was still active 120 feet above us. Tristan flew 110 feet up, only to have his magic dispelled just as he was about to escape, and dropped all the way to the bottom of the pit. I had to rush and tend to both of them while still trying to keep the master entertained enough to not simply kill us outright. Also, it was at this point that No Name decided to rejoin us and thought she could best help us by taking random articles of children's clothing that she found, lighting them on fire and tossing them down the pit. Don't ask where she got the children's clothing from. Trust me, you don't want to know. Fortunately for us, No Name's idea failed and the bundle of flaming clothes she tossed down dispersed before it even reached us, which was a good thing, because if that had hit and started a fight, we'd all be ghoul food. The master, for his part, watches us feebly attempting to escape, with an amused expression. Tristan, luckily for us, still had some spells left, and a quick cast of Healing Word keeps Sophia alive, so they barely survived that fall. I wish I could say that it knocked a bit of common sense into them, but it didn't. If I have time later, I'll tell you some more stories about the really dumb situations my niece and my brother-in-law keep getting themselves into. I know they're my family, but cord blast me do they get on my nerves. For my part, I try to keep the necromancer on me. I say to him, ignore them, master. If you'd like to play, I can play with you. Have you ever played Shell Pickup? Shell Pickup is a game I used to play with my younger niece back home. It's pretty simple. You just need some shells and a ball to play. My suggestion seems to have caught the master's attention. He still uses the skull to mimic a child talking as he answers. No, I have not. Pray tell, what is it? It's a pretty fun game, but you need a ball and some seashells to play, I say, as I scramble to do what I can to treat my friend's wounds. The master smiles at my bumbling display. Is that so? If you'd like, we could go to my house on the beach. Lots of shells there. The amused expression on his face turns sour the moment I suggest leaving. He snaps back into talking like an adult man. I am bound to this place, like my colleagues. Oh, I will allow last words before your bodies are gifted to the Almighty, he says flippantly as he yawns. Thinking I could offer him a deal to get him to let us go, I ask him, would you like to be unbound? No, however, <sighs> he sighs and looks at me. Sadly, we cannot claim your soul. Your body will have to suffice. 
As he says this, the gelatinous acid ooze that he floats in begins surrounding us, ready to envelop us and eat us alive. Wait, wait, if you claim my body, you'll be all on your own again, with no one to play with. The ooze creeps forward. Do you really need to sacrifice us? Are we really that much more valuable dead than alive? Yes. He looks down at each of them and hums in thought. Now, ghoul, ghast, white, zombie, or mummy? Your choice. Take your pick. He smiles giddily. Desperately, I look around the room for something, anything that might help us. I pray for guidance from Cord as I look around, and at this moment, he blesses me with a small glimmer of hope. As I looked around the room, I saw the slightest glimmer of gems at the sides of the wall. There were four teleportation circles etched into the walls, just like the ones in the mummy room. However, these were inactive. At the very center of the room is a big teleportation circle as well, though it looks to be halfway destroyed. I couldn't make sense of it at first, but then I started to recognize that the sigil sequences on the circle were similar to ones I'd seen in the books that my wife reads at times. I knew that if activated, they would lead somewhere a lot farther away. It just needs blood and more gems inlaid in it to be activated. Gems that I could get from the sides of the room. I have one final gambit. I pray for guidance as I make one last ditch effort to persuade this monster not to kill us. Wait, master, before you kill us, could we perhaps have one game of shell pickup? I think we can improvise using materials in this room. The master raises a brow and I hold my breath. Then the master smiles and holds up the child's skull again, dismissing the poison cloud in the room. My, 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 that sounds like so much fun. He bounces the skull a bit as he giggles, clearly unhinged. Me, out of character. I rolled 16 on that persuasion check. It was just barely enough. I figured that skull he's clutching is important somehow, so I try to see if I can get it away from him. In the most polite tone I could muster, I ask, Actually, could we borrow that skull? It would make a good substitute for a ball. He gasps and clutches the skull protectively, shrinking away and patting its head. Then he coos at it like some demented child petting a puppy. Oh, no, no, no. They won't take you, Sonya. They won't. They won't. Oh, I'm sorry. Never mind. It's fine. We can use something else. The master looks at Sophia and points a finger to her head. How about this one? He asks. I think fast. No, elven skulls are weirdly shaped. It won't do. Sophia doesn't miss a beat. And my head is much too weak, she adds, batting her eyelashes for effect. Yeah, apparently she's going to try her hand at seducing this freak. My stomach rolls at the thought even now, though I take some consolation knowing that it must have been a thousand times worse for her. In any case, the necromancer buys it, and now Sophia has his attention, which takes his focus off of me. While I make a play for the gems in the wall, Sophia takes one for the team and attempts to actually flirt with this lunatic. Zanya is such a pretty name, she says. Little Zanya is so brave, the necromancer smiles proudly. Zanya looks so pretty. She lets out a high-pitched squeal like a teenage girl fussing over a puppy. The skull of Zanya clatters in the master's hand. He turns the skull up to his ear and makes like he's listening to it. Oh, oh yes, he says in agreement with whatever he thinks the skull is saying to him. He says to Sophia, Zanya thinks you're pretty too. I know enough about psychopaths to know that if they give you a compliment, it's never a good sign. It's extra bad if they're using a child's skull as a sock puppet while they do it. There's nothing I can do for Sophia now though. I need to focus on the task at hand. While Sophia keeps the necromancer occupied, I'm over by the walls of the pit, trying to pop out the gems inlaid into the walls. It's okay if I take these, right? I ask, wanting to make sure he doesn't suspect a thing. Yes, yes, whatever. He waves his other hand that isn't holding a skull at me. The ooze then slinks towards Sophia, its acidic body slinking around her, blocking her from the others and examining her features. Very, very pretty. You know, you remind me of someone.
someone. He tries to remember. While the master is distracted with Sophia, I work fast to pluck the gems out of the wall. My hands are working a bit faster than usual. Which is fortunate, because I'm normally quite lacking in the Department of Dexterity. While I'm working on this, Sophia is fighting off the master's charming spells. Her fey ancestry ended up coming in really handy here. Tristan helps out too, by using the last of his spell points in sorcery to subtly counterspell the master's charms. Dense as he can be sometimes, I won't knock the man's spellcasting prowess. No name for her part is peeking down, viewing the scenario with great interest. She tosses something else down the pit, and I notice a single small jewel hit the ground at the wall of the room. The master notices this, and the ooze tenses as he looks up at the top of the hole from whence it came. He looks up at No Name and grins at her psychotically. He shouts happily to the top of the hole in that fake child's voice. Come, come join us! Children love to play! This gives me just the distraction I need. With the master's attention split between trying to charm Sophia and taunting No Name, I'm able to gather up the gems and start inlaying them under the pretense of arranging them for the game. Sophia for her part is an amazing distraction. As the master gets frustrated with the lack of effect his spells seem to have, due to Tristan's counterspelling, she's able to play it off by batting her eyelashes and making excuses like, I'm kinda immune to charm magic. She's grasping at straws I know, but it works. I'm able to start laying the gems into the circle without any issue. This was the moment I realized I made a critical mistake. I start laying gems into the circle and begin my spiel. Okay, so master, if I could have your attention please, I'll explain how the game works. Now, Sophia, Tristan, Teriel, Alamom, you gather with me. Master, since this is your first time playing, just watch us for a moment, then you can join us in the next round. The master slinks over to the center like a slug as he watches me with interest. When he gets to the center, he holds the child's skull to me from inside the ooze. She loves headpats. The thought disgusts me, but I don't have a choice. I can't risk offending him now that we're so close. My hand sears in incredible pain as I reach through the ooze to pat the skull. First my gauntlet dissolves and burns away, then the thick woolen glove I wear underneath to prevent chafing, then the very skin and fat of my hand dissolves before my eyes. It was like I was being unmade. My hand must have been in that substance for no more than five seconds, but when I pulled it out it was a mangled mess of exposed muscle tissue and sinew. I think my nerves were burned off because I couldn't feel my fingers. I'm in horrific agonizing pain right now and the only thing I can do is grin and bear with it because if I don't keep it together, everyone dies. With my burned hand in tow, I begin the little charade. Now, this is how the game works. I'm gonna lay the shells, in this case, gems, out like so. I explain as I inlay the gems I have with my good hand. This is when bad luck finally strikes. As I laid them in, I noticed that we were actually a few gems short. The magic only reaches three-fourths of the way around the circle. It's beginning to hum weakly, but it's not fully powered yet, and I need to harvest the gems from the other circle in the room. As I mentally curse our bad luck, the master looks on in expectation, with a crazed look of excitement in his eyes. Well? 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 Oh, wait, my bad, that's not enough shells. Wait right here, I'll go get the others. Then I'll cut my hand off to make the ball, okay master? I pray to Cord for guidance, hoping desperately that this little mess up didn't burn through the necromancer's patience. We just need a bit more time. I promise you'll be most entertained when the game commences. We just need a bit more time. I promise you'll be most entertained when the game commences, Teriel says, trying to help me convince him. Teriel is the type of man who has a sword for a brain. The fact that he was also trying to talk his way out of this rather than fight really highlighted just how badly in the hole we were, metaphorically and literally. Sophia is pushing her feminine wiles to their absolute limit to try and get him to wait just a little longer. The necromancer looks annoyed, but he waves me off. Praise Cord. Teriel helps me pop the gems out of the other wall, seeing as how I'm working with only one good hand now. Meanwhile, Sophia keeps up her flirting act. This is such a fun game, mister. 
Sophia says in the best fake cute girly voice she can muster. The master looks annoyed at Sophia and snaps with a shrill voice. Master! Master, this is such a fun game. She strokes his arm softly through the acidic ooze that he's floating in. Master, could you please come out? I can't see you properly in there. I think I know who I remind you of. She ends up losing some skin on the back of her hand, but she earns a bit of my respect in the process. Don't tell her I said that. She has a big enough ego already. Sophia took the burns like a champ, but it seemed to have the opposite of its intended effect, because he recoiled from her in disgust and shouted at her, You would be much more beautiful as a guest. He then points a finger at Sophia, ready to launch what I'm certain would have been some form of horrific curse. That's when Tristan acts fast and uses his last counterspell to deny whatever he was about to launch at her. The master frowns and pouts like a petulant man-child. No fun! No fun! I'm sorry. Magic is weird around me, she says apologetically, trying to keep the ruse up. The master groans at Sophia and goes out of the circle, trying to shake her off. Yes, yes, whatever. Play the game. Zanya's getting bored, he sneers. Teriel and I finish scraping the last of the gems we need off the wall and dash back to the center circle with the others. We're almost ready, trying to keep this over manchild placated. Fortunately for us, the master is too distracted by Sophia to notice what we're doing as we quickly set about inlaying the gems in the circle. As soon as the gems are in place, I call everyone in a chipper voice that I pray disguises the panic I'm actually feeling. Everyone in the center now! The master slinks over to the center with a giddy expression as I draw my sword out. I cut a little bit of my acid-burned hand to drip some blood onto the circle. The circle hums a bit but doesn't activate. Tristan and Teriel also pull out daggers to cut themselves with, but even with their blood, it isn't enough. This circle demands sacrifice. From what I can tell, the blood needs to be fresh and there needs to be a lot of it. I've only got one choice. I was hoping I could avoid actually having to cut my hand off, but we're desperate now. I raise my acid-burned hand up and put my sword to the wrist. With gritted teeth and a final prayer to cord, I ran my blade straight through my wrist. The enchanted metal of my sword cuts cleanly through muscle and bone. I cut it almost all the way through, but I end up leaving just a spare bit of skin at the edge of the wrist so that my severed hand ends up dangling off my wrist like a dead fish. My blood rushes out from the stump and drips heavily onto the magic circle. I won't lie to you, I screamed, and I am not ashamed to admit that. It was worth it though. The circle hummed to life as my blood poured onto it. Golden light emanates from the gems as everyone standing in the ring is transported to another place. The last thing we saw before that hell pit disappeared from our view was the master screaming out in terror and his eyes widening in realization as our group disappeared. No! Sophia blows him one last kiss and we're gone. The next thing we know, we're outside the dark gates that lead us down into the dungeon. The sun now high in the sky, its warm rays caress our faces. We're exhausted, covered in blood, slime, grime, acid, and God knows what else. I'm missing a hand. Also, it seems we forgot no name, but the people I care about are alive. For me, that's all that matters. I know that might seem selfish, but I learned early in my adventuring career that you won't be able to save everyone no matter how strong you are. For me, it's enough that the people I'm responsible for are okay. Plus, to be honest, nobody shed any tears for her. She had a habit of running off on her own and leaving us vulnerable at really bad times, so we weren't too hung up about it. We're not out of the woods yet, though. The outside of the ruins still has a lot of stray ghouls lurking around. We have just enough time for Teriel to bandage my bloody stump, and I somehow managed to muster enough constitution to stay conscious, despite the massive blood loss. Unfortunately, staying conscious means I'm also conscious of the unspeakable pain that comes with having your hand chopped off, and my screams of agony seem to capture the attention of the ghouls, who think they have an opportunity for an easy meal. 
Sophia manages to stick a few arrows in a couple of the ghouls dumb enough to start crawling in our direction, but they're quickly replaced by more. Let's get out of here, Tristan says. For once, I agree with him. Let's go, I say, using my sword to help me get back to my feet. We form up and we fight our way out. Teriel slashes through undead after undead with ease, though more keep coming. Tristan's eldritch blast flies around the ruins and undead fall to it like flies. Even past the pain and having only one hand, I manage to hold my own as I slash past hordes of zombies and skeletons. Sophia's arrows hit their mark every time, leaving a trail of blood in her wake. Ali Morn cuts through flesh and bone like butter, his rage keeping him up despite his wounds, sparks flying around his mouth and a lightning bolt from his maw lighting up the battlefield. Our group holds together against the seemingly endless stream of undead. Finally, we arrive at the grassy hill that we started this adventure on, the road towards home stretching out invitingly onto the horizon. A well-crafted dungeon, a super creepy necromancer, and creative problem solving by the players. This is exactly how D&D is supposed to be played. Do you have a story like this? Please let us know what you think and comment below. Don't forget to subscribe to our channel All Things D&D. Our next video will be posted in three days, so stay tuned for more amazing Dungeons & Dragons content. Thanks for listening to All Things D&D's Story Dungeon. We'd love to have you subscribe and review us on iTunes and Spotify. Until next time!